Okay, um, <laughs> I'm surprised I'm even starting this one at this point in time because I've only watched like the first seven or so minutes of the first episode of the Sensorites, but I, I'm, I'm riled enough about it already. There's a there's a portion in it that I'd forgotten about and I want to talk about uh, before we even get into you know the actual full story in itself. So I'm, maybe I can maybe I should get that out of the way and you know we'll carry on from there when I get a chance to watch more. <laughs> anyway, you're listening to Somewhere in the Hooniverse. I am Shambles Constant. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, <laughs> So, oh my god. Um, so, the first episode of The Sensorites, and we finished up The Aztecs was the previous story. Um, a very good story. Um, I gave it uh, a 10 out of 10. I gave it um, really good marks there. And if you wondered where the uh, title came from for that episode, um, here comes another song about Mexico. There's a song by the band The Refreshments called Mexico. Actually, they did a lot of songs where they talked about Mexico. That was a recurring theme to that band and also to their um, their sequel band, so to speak, uh, Roger Klein and the Peacemakers. Um, but uh, so, and, and that song kind of started like it uh, played on uh, my. Um, my, my YouTube, I was listening to some music on there, and it came up, and I thought, yeah, let's... Hey, the Aztecs is set in Mexico. Here comes another song about Mexico. I like that. I was debating on titles. I, I went through about three different titles for that one, and none of them really stuck, and I'm like, I don't really like that. It's gonna be like Coco with Kamika, or, uh, um, what else did I have? Um... Mojo and Coco. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I almost went with that one anyway. So, but, uh, yeah, but so the Aztecs ends with uh, the TARDIS landing somewhere where it's, it's showing that it seems like the ship is moving, but it's not in flight. Um, there's a paradox there, and it turns out the TARDIS has material. <laughs> I just walked past some lady, I'm like, blah, 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 Doctor Who, TARDIS is my... <laughs> I'm like, alright, I feel like an idiot now. <laughs> Anywho, moving forward, moving on, going forward in all our beliefs, um, the TARDIS has materialized on a spaceship. And, uh, you know, it just, I don't know, it seems like something that the Doctor should have been able to figure out in advance. You know? He should have been able to figure out that's, you know that uh, his ship is capable of materializing on a separate spaceship. And it's going to happen a lot um, in later years. Uh, there's even a Tom Baker story where he lands, the Doctor, the TARDIS lands on a, where two spaceships have collided in hyperspace. <laughs> He's got to help separate the ships. <laughs> Nightmare of Eden, that's a crazy one. Um, anyway... Tangent, sidebar. Okay, anyway. Um, so we get into this little conversation, though, between the four travelers. And it's kind of just like a little recap of where we've come, you know, 
how far we've come from the beginning of the series. And they're saying how it started out as a mild curiosity in a junkyard. Which, that's not how it started for the doctor. So it's kind of weird that he says that. But uh, it's like, it's become a real spirit of adventure, you know? <laughs> um, and I'm not sure if that's how the line was scripted. I, <laughs> I don't, that doesn't seem right. I don't know. It sounds weird. But anyway, it's a nice little moment. And they're talking about uh, the Daleks and Marco Polo and, you know, being on Marinus. And it's just different. It's kind of a, a summary of where they've come. And we find out about an unseen adventure where... Um, the doctor meant, met Henry VIII. <laughs> um, but, and it's fine until they mention the thing with the Aztecs. And Barbara says, yeah, I've gotten over that now. Pisses me off. <laughs> I'm like, what? What do you mean you've gotten over? That was a huge, that, that, what? What do you mean you've gotten over it? That, that, that was the whole crux of the last story for you. That you couldn't stop the blood sacrifices from happening. And you found you found that out. And you you know you tried so hard, but you but no, she's gotten over it. It's fine. I hate, 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 hate the fact that, that line is in there. And it just pisses me off. To the point that I kind of got distracted shortly thereafter. I didn't really get any much further into the episode. But what I did see was when they come out, uh, you know, on this spaceship and uh, they see a man and a woman and the man and the woman seem to be dead. But uh, then the man is somehow revived and has them revive the, the woman. And, uh, you know, then they're... That's about it, <laughs> as far as I got. So, I might actually start that one over um, when I have lunch today. And maybe just uh, put my fingers in my ears and just do la-la-la when Barbara says she's gotten over the whole Aztec thing. I think she's fine. Um, yeah. She should still be upset. I'm sorry. She should still be upset. So anyway, that's where that's where we are at this point. Um, and uh, moving forward from that, I've been accessing these episodes on BritBox. Um, I have several of them on DVD, but BritBox is more convenient, frankly. Just to you know, I haven't played a DVD in months. But Reign of Terror, the next one after the Sensorites, is not on BritBox. Um, it's the one that there are two episodes missing from the archives, but I do have it on DVD. And I dug out the DVD last night. I'd never even opened it, so I have not watched the DVD. So um, I think I've only seen the story like once, maybe twice. I remember very little about it, so that'll be, that'll be interesting to tackle that one, you know? And, uh, see where we are with it. <laughs> well, Sensorites I've only seen a couple of times as well. So, you know, the stories up until now I'd seen several times, but we're into relatively unfamiliar territory for me. So, that's kind of exciting. <laughs> Something a little different. Something I'm not too used to. 
And then when we get into season two, we'll go back to ones that I've seen a bunch of times. So, anyway, that's about all I got right now. Um, just wanted to open up the episode, and then we'll get back to it when I get back to it. Okay, it's uh, mid-afternoon now, and uh, I watched. I went back and watched the whole first episode. Um, started from beginning uh, over lunch. Um, you know the whole thing and uh, the, the whole first episode in one sitting um, to see. And I'm I'm trying um, a little experiment here. I know a lot of times I'll kind of fumble and be like, wait, what happened next? What was that? And then, you know, it'll drive me crazy because I'll be like, wasn't there something I was going to say, but I'm forgetting to say and all that stuff. So I'm experimenting with a note-taking procedure on these. And the the issue with me with taking notes and then recording, um, you know, my, myself talking about the notes is that in the moment, I never know how much to write down, and I tend to write down too much. And then, it, you know, as I'm trying to talk about, what, you know, when I'm recording, as I'm trying to talk about what I was taking the notes on, I'll tend to get lost a little bit on the page. You know, like my eyes get lost on the page, and I, I tend to lose track of what I'm I'm... I'm doing, and then, like I said, I just, you know, I put too much detail down, and then that just throws me off when I'm trying to, so, you know, with with the sensorites, I'm going to experiment with that process, so I've got notes for the first episode. Uh, we'll see how it goes, as I'm just kind of talking it out here for a minute. Um, the The episode is called Strangers in Space, and I don't know if they mean the strangers to be the doctor and his companions, or if they mean the strangers to be um, the people that they find on the ship. Um, that's not really very clear. But we've got we've got a um, early on when everybody's standing around the console room talking, and they're like, "Oh, is everything all right outside?" And you know. Barbara has an interesting comment. I don't know why I, we even bother to leave the ship, <laughs> which is a very valid question for uh, season one Doctor Who, because <laughs> you know they always go outside, look around a little bit, and the first sign of any danger or trouble, they'll be like, "Well, such a shame we can't stay. We got to get going." And then like something will will come up as an obstacle to them leaving, and then they're stuck, and they have to solve a problem or whatever kind of a thing it is, which, yes, this episode is no exception. Um, th those excuses for sticking around are, are getting a little more contrived. Like in this episode, um, a sensorite who we really just see his hand at first, this alien being, um, removes the lock mechanism from the outside of the TARDIS <laughs> when they're outside of the ship. How How... How the sensorite knows that that will keep them there, I, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> but you know, he does it, and they're like, they're like, "Do you smell something burning?" And he's burning the, literally burning the lock right out of the um, the the police box frame work. You know. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, that's that's. Uh, so they leave the TARDIS, and there's a really great little tracking shot, uh, camera shot behind. The doctor and his three companions, um, where it follows them from the console room, out the door and into the uh, 
the, the spaceship that the TARDIS has, has materialized in. Um, it's an effect that they, they used very rarely in the classic series. This, this may even be the only time. Um, maybe, maybe another time. I don't know. Maybe during the Pertwee era, they might've done it at some point, but, um, it, you know, it's definitely for the, uh, artistic effect and it, and it works really well. I think uh, they, they did a really good job with it. They, you know, made the console room naturally just lead directly out into the, the, the spaceship outside of the TARDIS. Um, I know they've, they've done that kind of thing, you know, in a, in a slightly different way in the modern series as well, but, um, it's just a really fun effect to, to see. So anyway, you know, Captain Maitland and Carol Richmond are, um, you know, in this main room of the spaceship, I don't know if it's considered like a control room or, or what, but they seem to be dead, but they're really just in deep sleep. And, um, you know, the doctor is examining both of them to try to figure out. And he notices that their, their watches are not working. Their watches are stuck at like three o'clock. And he has a, a, a little Hartnell fluff where he says, Hartnell flub, where he's like, uh, these watches are the are of the non-winding time, which I think he's supposed to say the non-winding kind, because they they don't they don't wind as such. He, he goes into an explanation on it. I didn't really jot it down. Um, and Susan and Barbara both have a bad feeling about this, which you know, if either one of them have paid attention at all to the way things tend to go when they're traveling uh, with the doctor. You know, I'd have a bad feeling all the time, but that's just me. But it's notable um, that that they say that in the story, especially Susan, which we'll 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 go into that whole thing later. Uh, anyway, the the doctor examines them for a bit. He's like, yeah, yeah, hmm. well, they're dead. Um, well, there's nothing we can do for these people, so we might as well leave. And about then, like Maitland kind of flinches, and he. He grabs for this little device and sticks it, you know, to his heart. And it turns out it's a heart resuscitator, um, which uh, that would be a great gadget to have these days. Like, <laughs> we'd a heart resuscitator. I would love to have a heart resuscitator to carry around. Anyway, then he's like, where's, you know, where's Carol? And Barbara's like, uh, I'm sorry, Carol is dead. And he's like, just tell me where she's at. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, so he's like, here you go. And. Uh, he's like, just give this to her, and he has Barbara administer the the heart resuscitator on Carol, and Carol wakes up, and so then they're kind of hanging out in the spaceship uh, control room, and um, they find out that they're in the 28th century, and Maitland's like, why? What century are you from? Are you from the 21st? And they're like, no, the 20th, and he doesn't seem surprised. Like, there's really no no indication of surprise from either Maitland or Carol um, as to uh, these two travelers uh, being from the 20th century. It's just like, oh, okay. So they're asking, it's like, what's, what's up with, it's like, well, London is now like central city. And um, it's like, uh, is, is, is big Ben still going? He's like, what? Like they didn't know. They don't, they don't even seem to know what Ian's talking about. And then there's a bit where the doctor claims that he never meddles in other people's affairs and um, everybody else is just like, you know, all the rest of the companions are like laughing. He's like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I, I don't let my curiosity get the best of me. Now, what's going on here? 
It's like just straight out, just was like giving it to him. And uh, so the the uh, Kate, uh, Caitlin, um, Maitland, and Carol say that these there's these aliens called the Sensorites, and they they are forcing the ship to stay, like they're preventing it from leaving. Um, they they have a form of mind control. They control. Um, they can control people's brains um, by tapping into their fear and power, is what they say. So, uh, you know, that's because, that's a whole thing. And, uh, you know, then as I said, you see, you know, the hand of a sensorite uh, removing the, the TARDIS lock. So now they're, you know, they're still stuck there at this point. Um, and it was at this point that I, you know, with the explanation of all this, that I, w- I reminded myself i was reminded i i remembered um the phrase naive science fiction which uh pq river uh used to refer to uh um some of this old doctor who when he was he was he was talking about uh somewhere in the universe on uh on his show the appreciator and uh this is a really good example of what i think you could call naive science fiction it sounds good, but it's like, I don't really think any of that really stands up to scrutiny very well. But, you know, early 60s, it would have really appealed to uh, people watching. And now it has a kind of a anachronistic appeal, kind of a, um, a quirky, kind of a quaint appeal almost. And, uh, you know, it's just a lot of fun to, uh, to see that. It's just, it's just fun to see. But we get just a couple of brief little snippets of, you know, what the future is is like, and uh, not not really enough to, but you know, to really get a great idea of it. But it's funny how Ian says, you know, we could find out more about the future. And he's got the Doctor and Susan right there, and they're obviously, you know, from another time, another world, and they they probably know, you know the same stuff that they could find out from Maitland. But he's like, you know, what, what, what else can you tell us here, you know? And they find out that there's uh, this other crew member named John. This guy just, just named John. And John is the only one who has met any of the sensorites. And it has fucked up his brain in some way. Like, John is just, like, wandering around the ship, um, just in, like, a kind of a zombie state. Um... He comes into contact with Susan and Barbara. Susan and Barbara are like separated from everybody else because this this door shuts that they can't open. I, I know we've heard this before in uh, Heart and Old Doctor Who. Um, doors are hard to open once they close in Doctor Who um, back in the day. So you know it's it's before the sonic screwdriver came along. So that that would have alleviated a lot of these problems. You know, just having that. Device, but that won't be along for another few years. Anyway, so John's wandering around the ship, and he finds the women. He finds Susan and Barbara, and he's like, "I'm just trying to talk to them." And Susan's freaked out by him, and she's like, kind of squealing. And then he's he's obviously in some great mental anguish, mental distress, and he's trying to talk to them, and he's not really getting anywhere. And we find out from Carol that she was going to marry John. Um, before this this trip, and then the sensorites took over John's mind. Um, you know, they immobilized the 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 ship to where, um, you know, 
like Maitland and them cannot cannot go where they want to go. Um, and then John just starts crying in front of Susan and Barbara, which is like, it's like the, the so it's like just kind of almost pathetic, you know. And and they're like, "We'll take we'll take care of you. We'll take care of you." And later he's like, he's like, "I'll protect you." And they're like, uh, "Yeah, okay, you can protect us. Sure, whatever." Um, we get this loud ringing sound, this really annoying ringing sound, uh, high pitched. And that's supposed to indicate the sensorites approach. They say that's the machines that they travel in. So, you know, you're looking around, you're like, how do they travel exactly? Do they travel through space? What's going on here? Um, we find out that the, the sensorites, uh, you know, since they do this whole mind control thing, that actually also means that um, for Maitland and Carol and John, that their their intelligence is their own defense in that the sensorites somehow rely on um, the humans having having this intelligence um, you know in order to keep them alive like like they're not they don't kill them or hurt them in any permanent sense like they and they they bring f the sensorites bring food to them and everything um, they but they just control their minds or they attempt to you know and in, in John's case they've definitely succeeded and the other two they've just you know, uh, made them pretty much where they just don't really know what the hell's going on, and you know they'll they'll uh, induce this uh, deep sleep state, and uh, you know so the sensorites are up to some shit. Um, you know the doctor sits down and he's trying to to work out what's going on, and they're like you know like like oh there look look out the window there there's there's sensorites coming, and he sees this one sensorite. Which is just like this, got this like weird, fuzzy, furry, hairy face, and is just kind of floating out there in space by you know by himself, like not in a ship or anything. He, the sensorite is is just floating around in in space, and he's like bumping up against the window, and that's where the cliffhanger um, takes place. So yeah, this works pretty well. Once I take the notes. Um, I can just, that was basically just me going right down the page and um, kind of reading off what I wrote. Uh, I didn't put too much down to where, you know, I would be compelled to read it verbatim or anything. I, you know, I, I kind of just paraphrased from my, from my notes and I like how that worked. So I guess I'll be trying that at least for the rest of the story of like uh, taking notes um, as I'm watching the show. And that I know that's a little bit of a distraction, so sometimes I might have to hit pause or whatever. But I want to make sure to still make the viewing experience enjoyable. I don't want it just to be like I'm doing homework. So that's where I'm going to have to kind of um, kind of walk that line, basically. And also, it might not be something that I can do when I'm out walking. I definitely won't be able to do it while I'm driving, you know, because I have to go through my notes. So. Um, yeah, unless I'm talking off the top of my head, um, uh, you know, these might, these recording sessions might be just sitting down on my own, just chatting, which is fine too. Um, I don't know, it's kind of, it's fun going out and walking and talking and all that kind of stuff. So maybe I'll figure out some other way to combine those, those things or I don't know, I'll figure something out. And the second episode we find out next episode is called The Unwilling Warriors, which 
sound a little bit, you're like, all right, where are we going with this? Are these guys, like, do they want to fight? <laughs> What's going on? So we'll get back to that soon. It is now the evening of the following day, and I've gotten through one more episode. I, the, this one's already getting to be a rough one. I So I, I've heard it said in corners of uh, Doctor Who fandom where people do these silly marathons like I'm doing right now, um, that uh, if you're starting from the beginning, uh, one common point in the series that people often quit these marathons is the Sensorites. Because <laughs> it's it's a six-parter that just feels really long and, and drags, and a lot of it is... is it doesn't make sense of why it needs to be this long of a story. Um, the aliens are not very compelling. Um, and, you know, all these criticisms, I can't help but say that I agree with. And I'm starting to remember them as I'm watching. Like, the first episode was pretty good. Like, it was it was a good start. It was intriguing. And, uh, but this, this second episode... Okay, so just... To get into it, and 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 you know, uh, yeah. Well, let's let's just get into it. But the second episode is the unwilling warriors, and you don't know if the unwilling warriors are are the sensorites or if they're the humans, because it could be either one. Um, we see that Maitland and Carol are paralyzed by fear for some reason, um, as. Um, two sensorites set foot uh, onto the ship and you know they have they have bald heads and they have these weird um, upward beards and sideburns it's it's just a very strange look for them incidentally for people who uh, are fans of the modern series the Sensorites are supposed to be kind of cousins to the Ood, which are a much more compelling <laughs> alien race in, in uh, Doctor Who history. So, but uh, anyway, so so Maitland and Carol are 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 freaked out, and they're they're in that hypnosis state, and the Doctor is trying to coax them out of it, saying, you know, there's we have work to do, there's work to do, we need to do this, um, and. Uh, and Ian is upset over, uh, you know, what's going on with uh, Barbara and Susan and, you know, trying to get them back. And the doctor tells him that he needs to control his emotions because then, you know, if he doesn't, it'll be easier for the sensorites to control him, you know, by mind control. Um, we get back to Barbara and Susan and John... And John's trying to resist. Like, everybody's sensing just the presence of the Sensorites on the ship. Um, and they, there, there was mention made of John's gray hair, and which the doctor's like, what's the big deal about gray hair? <laughs> and it's like, well, the point is that John's only about 30, which I know, I know 30-year-olds with gray hair. I was starting to get gray hair at the age of 30 myself. But um, the point is still made that, you know, John... It seems to be, you know, aging rapidly from the stress <laughs> of dealing with these damn sensorites. Um, Barbara's like, you know, we're your friends, John. She's trying to, you know, she's trying to comfort him, to 
reassure him. And then Susan tells about the, uh, the, Susan tells about um, these telepathic plants that she and the doctor encountered on the planet of Esto, which uh, must be another unseen adventure, probably around the same time that uh, the doctor met um, Henry VIII, you know, around that area, um, you know, before, uh, before they met Ian and Barbara in that, in that undefined amount of time when the doctor and Susan were traveling together after uh, leaving Gallifrey. But uh, so Barbara and Susan are like, we need to, you know, we need to figure out a way to, to, uh, you know, uh, guard our, our minds. So they both just think the phrase, they think the phrase, we defy you, we defy you. And they just, they concentrate on that phrase. We defy you. Um, uh, Ian and Maitland managed to get the door open. Um, and, uh, Susan says that she heard hundreds of voices in her mind. This is very, this is very intriguing. So we're, we're finding out that Susan has, uh, Milo, Milo, you're tangled. Hang on a second. Oh, okay. I got him. He was tangled up in something. I had to get him out and now he wants to sit in my lap. (laughs) That's a little unusual. We'll let him, we'll let him sit in my lap. Milo, you get to be a guest on the show. How's, what do you think about that? Okay, anyway. So we're, we're getting evidence of uh, that Susan has, you know, a form of telepathic powers uh, beyond um, the others. Even the doctor, apparently. The doctor doesn't seem to, to have the same, you know, powers of this extent, you know. Um, and we find out that John discovered a sensorite secret. There was something that he discovered. He's talking about the, you know, he, he, he keeps going on about the dreams of avarice. Um, they say, you know, he, he's a mineralogist and he discovered that, um, there's, there are large traces of, uh, the element, uh, molybdenum on, on the sensphere planet. And, uh, the sensorites are trying to get rich off of off of this, you know, to increase their their wealth. They're they're very, you know, they're they're greedy. And um, uh, Carol is asking about, uh, you know, how the how the travelers travel. She's like, are you you know you you travel without purpose? Like that? She's you know she's interested in that. And they're like, well, not really without purpose. We, we you know we we try to. We're trying to get Ian and Barbara back home and this kind of thing. And, and she says, well, I guess that's better than just being shackled to the, this area of space like we are, <laughs> where the sensorites won't let, let us leave, you know. Um, these two sensorites that are roaming around, Ian and Barbara end up um, finding the two of them. And both sides are, are uh, equally scared of each other. Like, they're equally... Uh, frightened of one another, which is is interesting. Um, John locks a door to keep the sensorites out, but that does no good. The sensorites can can uh, open the door with their minds like nothing flat. Again, we need that damn sonic screwdriver that the doctor's not going to get until you know until he turns into Patrick Troughton, basically. Um, 
the sensorites communicate telepathically with Susan. Um, and they say, and they, and they speak very soft spoken. Um, I actually kind of like that though. I kind of like that. They're not the stereotypical aliens that are like, like the Daleks would be like yelling, you know, exterminate, exterminate. And, uh, you know, some of the other aliens are quite, are loud and, um, sensorites speak like this. It's like freaking ASMR with the sensorites, you know, but, um, they communicate telepathically with Susan and, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they're not letting the, uh, the humans leave the sense fear and they, they insist on taking them down to the sense fear with them. Um, but, uh, neither side wants to hurt the other one. Uh, the, the sensorites like, you know, basically we will, if we have to, but we don't want to. <laughs> it's like, they're like, you've only proved that you can lock doors, but we can unlock them. <laughs> so, um, it almost seems like a bit of a stalemate here for a bit with the, between these two races, you know? Um, and then, and then we're finding out that the sensorites have more uh, sensitivity, no pun intended, than you would think of the typical alien villain in Doctor Who. Um, the doctor raises his voice just slightly to them and it hurts their ears and they're, they're wincing. They're like, yeah, you know, um, you know, and they're, and also the fact that they're, they're scared of the dark. Like they're, they're the way their, their, uh, their eyesight is, um, in the dark, their, their, uh, pupils contract, like they don't do what they're supposed to do. And, uh, so, you know, they're, they're essentially scared of the dark. <laughs> so we have an alien race that is scared of the dark and doesn't like loud noises. And we're only a third of the way into the story. We have another four episodes to go as at the end of the episode, um, Susan agrees to go down to the Sensphere planet, um, with, uh, with the sensorites and we're, we're leading up to, I don't know if it's her character. I thought it was Barbara's character, but there's a character that is absent from two episodes, um, uh, because of going down to the Sensphere planet. But it seemed like it was Barbara to me, so I, I'm not sure. My memory might be uh, faulty on that one. But uh, anyway, so that's where we leave off with the end of episode two. It's a Friday night, and I... Uh, okay, so something that I used to do is stay up and watch. Like, uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, and, uh, you know, um, high school, college age... I would sometimes, there was, we had a, there was a local PBS station that would play Omnibus, like a movie edition of a Doctor Who story, you know, where the episode, um, you know, the, the, um, closing and openings of the episodes are taken out so that it all just flows together in like a movie format. And I used to, to watch those, they would show them on Friday night or Saturday night. And, uh, on this one PBS, PBS station. The other PBS station that we got uh, would show a half-hour episode every weekday night. But um, this one, uh, you know, they would show the ominous, ominous, omnibus versions of them at night from, like, 
I, I think it was like from a, like 11 o'clock to whenever it would end, like a four-parter, it would be about, it would end up at about an hour and a half. A six-parter would, would be like two hours and, or two hours and 15 minutes or something like that. And on like that, I don't know what they, they did for like something like the war games or <laughs> something like that. And just like, you just like watching all night, I guess. But I would watch those and sometimes record them on VHS. And uh, I've kind of thought about trying to revive that on my own, you know, just like on BritBox, just playing, watching an entire story on a Friday night. Sensorites is not going to be that story because uh, I I don't see that happening. I cannot <laughs> go through uh, the entire six-parter of the Sensorites in one sitting. That's just not happening. Or even like you know, the last four episodes of it in one sitting, that's not going to happen. So I'll, I'll, I'll get through it. Maybe I can get through it this weekend. I don't know. I'll, I'll give it a try. So anyway, um, okay. So that, that's, uh, that's me caught up. Um, the next will, next thing I'll be watching will be episode three, which is hidden danger. Um, and so, uh, we'll get back to that. Okay, episode three down now. Hidden danger. I'm now halfway. Milo's knocking crap off of the coffee table. What are you just not? Oh, a bottle of allergy pills, which luckily had the lid on them. I put it back on the drum turbo. Anyway, so hidden danger is the third episode, and he just knocked it over again. All right, I'm leaving it. For now, because he's going to drive me crazy. Otherwise, <laughs> Tim, he just knocked a pen over. Milo, go away. Go away. Gary! He's just standing there looking at me, standing on the coffee table. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, the sensorites in this third episode are, are becoming strangely more ineffectual and more powerful at the same time. I, I don't know how this is even possible, but they're, they're a weird race. They're just a weird alien race. And something in me as I'm watching the show is like actively repelling me from wanting to watch them. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know exactly what it is, but the, the, they are, you know, as I was saying last night, um, on the when I was doing the second episode, it was like, you know, they are not as compelling an alien race as as other ones that we've that we've seen so far. Particularly the Daleks being the main example, but uh, you know, we've also seen people from Marin the Marinans. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, and so it's just I don't know. I I'm I'm not a fan of them as a species because it's hard to figure out what they're you know because in the second episode john was talking about he did that whole thing where he was talking about the 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 greed of avarice or the avarice of met whatever that line was you know and and you know and saying that the sensorites were the greedy ones and now the sensorites um are saying that john was the one that he he found that there was molybdenum and he wanted to take it away from the, from the sense sphere. And, uh, 
you know, make make a million dollars basically. And so the censorites in retaliation, not even retaliation, but they, they claim that in their, uh, to, to protect their own molybdenum, um, they were compelled, they were forced to imprison the ship in orbit around the planet. And that, and we're not sure exactly how long that's, that's been the case, but, uh, uh, you know, so they're they're invasive, um, you know, tele- telepathically speaking. They're they're uh, they 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 force mind control on um, the, the the you know the humans, uh, but also they're acting like they're just a decent boat to guys, you know. <laughs> and there's a long sequence in the episode where the sensorite council is arguing with uh, with each other it's like guys yeah, just freaking this is not this is not a good scene this is not drawing me in by by any means i'm not I'm not really enjoying this so much uh you know but it's whatever but we've got the the first elder of the sensorites um is pro doctor and the city administrator doesn't cr- doesn't trust any of the earth creatures and wants to kill them off with a disintegrator gadget of some kind so he's anti doctor for lack of a better word and uh you know each each of them has other sensorites on their side um they also go through this whole thing about how the sashes that they wear are what distinguishes the sensorites from one another, you know, even among themselves. Like, they they basically look identical. They're slightly different heights, but they're, you know, that it's that kind of bad uh, Halloween mask um, with the the upward beard and the. Um, it's just uh, the the masks are just not very good in this, and uh, they're not very convincing at all. You know, um, I'm always very aware that I'm looking at. Um, actors wearing costumes and pretending to be these aliens. Like, there's no, there's no, it's hard to suspend my disbelief for that, basically. Um, and so, uh, the, the, you know, the sensorites find the humans ugly, but they do seem to be able to tell them apart, which is more than I can say about the sensorites themselves. Uh, you know, the only way they can tell who the first elder is, who the administrator is, who the second elder is, is by how many sashes they're wearing um, and in what formation on them, which I'm, you know, I'm sure that's not going to cause a problem um, later in the, later in the story. Um, I'm sure it's going to be fine. So, but uh, there's also a whole sequence where Susan is ready to go down to the sense sphere with, with the sensorites because otherwise she's like, she's like, they're going to kill us otherwise, you know? And, uh, Ian and Barbara are trying to stop, um, the sensorites from, from going. And the doctor just puts his foot down. Like, he's like, look, you, I forbid you to do this. And she stands up for herself. Um, you know, uh, he spouts off like dictated to by petty thieves and my own grandchild. <laughs> so there's a whole dynamic. Susan gets gets a great story in 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 this, um, and especially in this in this episode. And not only she has the whole telepathy go- thing going, but also uh, you know there's the generation gap uh, that she's trying to grow up. Um, 
and it's it's a very difficult thing for her because she's she's trying to grow up while not actually really having her own home to speak of. The TARDIS is the closest she has. Like she's cut off from her own planet, from everyone she ever knew except for the Doctor. Her her parents are apparently gone. You know, the rest of the family's gone except for the Doctor, as far as we know. And uh, and and she just puts her foot down and says, "This is what I'm." This is what I'm doing. Um, and the doctor is like... And finally he has to kind of capitulate a little bit and, and be like, okay, you know... Alright, I get it. Let's figure this out, okay? Let's just... Let's figure this thing out. Um, the sensorites can read Susan and they say, we can read the misery in her mind. And the doctor says, yes, and it's a good thing you can't read the anger in mine. And that makes me wonder, why can't they read the anger in... the I mean, does the doctor have a, a stronger self-control of his own mind? I mean, that that may well be the case, but we're not really given that information to to know for sure. So we we don't really we don't really know if that's the case or not. Um, you know. So anyway, the episode goes to where to everybody's going to go down to the sense sphere except for Barbara and Maitland, and um, practically speaking, this is so that yes. Um, Jacqueline Hill can get um, a little vacation, and I guess Maitland can too, <laughs> for that matter. He's probably like, "Well, I'm just a, I'm guest starring. I, I don't, I'm good. You know, I can I can do some more, do some more, do more episodes. I but no, nope, you know, we're gonna keep you on the ship, and uh, so and uh, they're they're trying to deal with with John. And uh, John just wants silence in his head, and all he's hearing are all these sensorite voices, which is what has kind of driven him over the brink. And he's had this breakdown, and he's still struggling. He's still trying to to get. He's just trying to to maintain a little bit of mental traction and just not let these these sensorites control him, basically. And uh, John says, you know, Carol says. Like, do you even remember who I am? And he looks at her and says, you're good. And then later he says the same thing about one of the, sen the first elder. He's like, you're good. <laughs> it's like, you know, you guys are both the same entity because you're both good. It's fine. But it is, it is kind of a nice little moment, though. Um, the sensorites are saying that they will cure John of his uh, mental issues that they have caused. Um but then we find out this whole thing about how they're they're dying. The sense rights are dying, um, and the first elder senses a great knowledge in the doctor. So you know he's perceptive. He knows. Um, you know anybody that's listened to the doctor talk for a few minutes can can tell that he's smart, as far as that's concerned. Um, and then we we get to the last few minutes, and uh, uh, Ian and Barbara and everybody they're they're just kind of kind of chilling out and. Sensorites are like, hey, you want some water? And they're like, yeah, we love water. Yeah, and it's like, here you go. The water's fine. It's a, they're tasting the water. Mmm, this is good water, you know. And they, meanwhile, the sensorites had been talking about how there's a this disease that's going through the sensorites, and it doesn't affect the elders, but it affects um, the the rest of the the sensorite, like the the warriors and the workers and stuff like that, and. Uh, so, you know, Ian drinks this water and he just kind of starts coughing and then they keep talking and then the next thing you know, he's doubled over and he's sick. You know, he's he's getting very sick 
And the sensorites are like, oh, shit, he's dying. <laughs> just like that. He's like, he he's dying. I don't know what to tell you. He's just dying. Um, so, that, and that's the, the cliffhanger. It's a pretty good cliffhanger because it's like, it just comes like right out of the blue. Like, all of a sudden, Ian's going to die. And it's like, well, he was just fine two minutes ago. All he did was drink your damn crystal water and what the hell's going on? So... We'll find out what's, what the hell's going on when I get back to watching more. Yep, it's the water. Um, and I, I lost track of whether the crystal water is the good water or the not good water. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, which one's the new water and which one's the old classic water that's going to poison you? I don't know. But uh, there's atropine poison in the aqueduct water and... and um, one of the reservoirs uh, the, they're finding out. Uh, that's that's the uh, the diagnosis that uh, the doctor eventually comes up with. Um, this disease is not contagious, so it's not really technically even a disease at all. Um, he treats it with salt water. He's like, here, Ian, have some salt water. It's going to be fine. <laughs> don't you don't you worry, none. Um, just have this salt water. It'll be okay. So Ian's like, okay. Um, and uh, the sensorites argue about giving the TARDIS lock back. They're like, you know, um, you need to use our laboratory before, you know, so that you can, you can treat this thing. Um, you can't go into yours because, hey, you might take off. And it's like, well, you got freaking Ian here, you know, as collateral, <laughs> which, again, as we know... Um, the doctor might, that might not be a deciding factor for the doctor. You know, he could leave Ian behind. Why not? So, but then like the city administrator of the sensorites is scoffing about like, you know, humans having names, um, you know, and, and being like, he's like, how do we distinguish them without, you know, if they don't have sashes or collars, <laughs> you know, then Carol gives uh, him this idea. She's like, you know, if you, you know, by accident, she's like, if you took off your sash, nobody would know who the hell you were. And the administrator's like, damn, I never even fucking thought of that. <laughs> you know, it's like, that never occurred to the sensorites because they they trust each other so much that there's no way any of them would, would ever, ever pretend to be someone they're not. You know, um, somebody would pretend to be someone you know, in a position of greater power or um, somebody, you know, just to to uh, frame them for something, rat them out, whatever it is. And um, anyway, so the doctor's not being allowed to go into the TARDIS. So he, he yells at them and that uh, they cannot take the raised voices. They just, like, we, we've got a solution here. If the sensorites have something you want just yell at them until they give it back. <laughs> nope. Oh, sorry. We can't yell at you. Sorry. We cannot yell. What were we thinking? I don't know. <laughs> so, whatever. And then we're treated to this uh, poison-fighting montage, as I thought of it. You know, like where you, you see um, different shots of, like, the doctor working on an antidote. And uh, Ian, you know coughing his ass off and uh, you know Carol's uh, Carol's there doing something the sensor you know it just kind of flips back and forth and back and forth 
reminder again, this is the first of two episodes, uh, this episode four, where uh, Barbara does not appear. So we'll just file that back and just keep that in mind. Now, the, the, the city administrator thinks that there might actually not be an antidote. He thinks that uh, they're faking, like Ian's pretending to be sick, like he's faking being sick and that there might just not be an antidote at all. Um, which the doctor has discovered is caffeine citrate. Caffeine! Um, caffeine is going to treat the poison. <laughs> which, I get it. Some days, you know, some days it seems like caffeine's the only thing that's going to get you through. Um, you know, through your, your work day. So, you know, the city administrator is going to pretend to be the second elder because, ooh, which, here's a sash. <laughs> you know? um, I'm going to be the second elder. And then, you know, he's got his, his little minion who's uh, helping him out, playing along with him, you know. Um, John's got a scene. The Man John, as they keep calling him. Like, they always, they always call him The Man John. Like, nobody else gets that kind of a title, you know? <laughs> it's like, The Man John. But, uh, anyway, The Man John is talking about enemies making plots, and he's, ran you know, he's rambling all this stuff in his, uh, you know, in his fevered, uh, headspace right now, and, you know, Carol's trying to comfort him and stuff, and... So the doctor is going on an expedition with the first scientist to the aqueduct. And the administrator takes the antidote from the scientist, pretending to be the second elder. Be like, oh, I'll give it to him. Don't worry. Don't you worry at all. Nope. He, he breaks the, the vial that the antidote is in instead. Which leads Susan to have to go get more. Like So like, what did we accomplish with that? I don't know. Nothing. Um, Susan's just like, well, nobody ever brought the antidote, so I'm just going to go to the lab and get it myself. <laughs> that's, and that's, uh, that's what she does. And then the doctor is warned that there are monsters in the aqueduct. Like, where, what the hell? Are these monsters? What, what's happening here? I don't know. I don't know. So, um, you know, um, Ian... Um, as he's been sick, his voice has gotten hoarse, so he sounds like a sensorite, which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, Ian and Susan go off to, to rescue the doctor. They're trying to, to uh, rescue him from the aqueduct, and we get a shot of the doctor in the aqueduct, and this monster growls, and the doctor kind of frowns, and ending credits. <laughs> That's the end of the episode. So... It's like, oh, there's the sound of a monster. What the fuck, you know? So, and then we're up to episode five. And if it seems like I'm speeding through these at this point, <laughs> there's a good reason for that. I'm ready to be done with this story, okay? I am, I am so ready to be done with this story because it's just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of back and forth, you know? Of like, you know, okay, this person has to go over here, and this person goes back, you know. Basically for the sake of, of filler, you know, so we can get a, a full six-part story. with it. This could have been a tighter four-parter. It still wouldn't have made a lot of sense, but it, it, I think it would have been better as a four-parter, definitely. So, but anyway, the doctors discovered that this poison is Deadly Nightshade, and he's got some other fancy name for it, which I didn't write down. Um, and then the monster sound stops, and Ian and Susan 
show up and, and rescue him. Um, there was something, though, because there are claw marks on his on his coat. His coat's basically ruined at this point. It's kind of torn up by whatever the hell was in the uh, the aqueduct. His coat is is torn up. So anyway, so the the doctor knows that there's a sensorite that is against them at this point. Like he's figured out. It's like it had to be one or more sensorites that are are against us. Um. John keeps talking about there's a there's a plot there's treachery going on. Um, we find out a little more about the sensorites. We find out that their brains are compartmentalized, so it's easier to deal with emotions. And which I wish I could do that personally. I, I, I wish you know because I my wife has that ability. Like she can she can uh, compartmentalize things. Like if she if she's upset about something but she has to work. She can generally just put that aside and get done what she needed. I have no, I have no separate compartments in my brain at all. It's all like a big warehouse with a bunch of piles of shit, and that's, that's and then I just have to deal with it. That's basically where where that stands, you know. Um, uh, yeah. So the sensorite, you know, they and there's an interesting conversation between one of the sensorites, I don't remember who, and Carol you know, where they're talking about this and, um, you know, where they're, they're saying, well, you know, it, it's, it, you know, if you, your perspective is open, you know, one of the sensorites says to see all the time is not a good thing, which is a, a kind of a, a, an illuminating, uh, comment, no pun intended. Um, but so the sensorites are squabbling and they're bickering and it just that just seems to go on for way too long. Um, Ian at one point reminds us that Barbara exists <laughs> by saying, "Hey, should we, uh, should, Doctor? Should we? Should we have them uh, bring Barbara down from uh, from the ship down to the planet?" And the Doctor kind of thinks about it and he's like, "Nah, eh, nah." I mean, the episode's not over yet, so no, we probably better not give her. Uh, Jacqueline Hill needs needs her vacation. She needs, you know, it's like, you know, the rest of us are getting a vacation. I'm not sure if you're getting one, Ian, but the rest of us have. Um, so let, let's give her a little longer to do God knows what. And we never, I don't think we ever really find out what Barbara is doing on the ship. I think she's just kind of sitting around. Like, you know, maybe she, maybe Barbara and Maitland are like playing like checkers or something. Um, I think that's probably what they're doing. They're They're playing like, um, fancy futuristic checkers, um, or, or like Vulcan chess, you know, something like that. Maybe, maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. So, but, uh, so, you know, the, 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 uh, the elders are mentioned and the sensorites are, you know, they're talking about, and Susan actually makes fun of one of them. Like, you know, she's like they're they're saying that uh, the second elder was there and then he just ran away, and Susan makes fun of how she imagines that a sensorite would run. She's like flip flap flip flap. I'm like, whoa! I don't know whether to call that racist. You know, if we're talking about a a, a fictional alien species, I'm not really sure what uh, how to classify that. But the city administrator pretending to be you know the, the 
Wait, no. Yeah, the city administrator kills the second elder and pretends to be him. And uh, um, the doctor is is given a cloak. I don't know where the censorites got this, but they give him a cloak to replace the coat that got ruined. And so he name drops uh, Bo Brummel um, when he's talking about, you know, it was like, well, it was like, Bo Brummel said I should wear a cloak like this or you know, whatever it is. Of course, the doctor is blamed for the second elder's death. That's how this show goes. Um, the travelers, and, and, it's, and it's a recurring theme um, through the classic series. It happens in the modern series where the travelers are blamed for whoever just happened to die. Um, th- this just happens. So, but Ian comes along to pay the doctor a solid and, and uh, pay him back for uh, what happened on you know, in, on Marinus and in, in the city of Millennius, um, when the doctor defended Ian when he was framed. Um, so the doctor's like, you know, the doctor's like, uh, being, you know, being blamed for this. And then Ian calls out the, the censorite, you know, the minion who, you know, was like, insists that the doctor was wearing, you know, this coat. And then, uh, Ian calls him out. He's like, no, that coat was ruined. He's like, oh, no, no, that cloak. I meant that cloak. And then the sensor writes, we just gave him that cloak like two seconds ago. And, uh, you know, the, the, the sensor right, formerly known as the city administrator. Like Now we're getting into a, an area where we have to clarify, since they don't have names, you know, we have to say, that, you know, the, the one that is actually this person but is pretending to be this person and it and it's just a really aggravating way to to think of the uh the sensorites it's just it's just really aggravating so um at this point john is all better like he's he's gotten all better like they they had him hooked up to this bunch of apparatus and they fixed his brain i guess they cured him and carol cries when she sees him smiling and it's and it's a sweet moment between them you know um the doctor and Ian, you know, they they finally decide. Like the subject of Barbara comes back up, and they're like, "Like, hey, can we can can you send her down to the planet? Um, and also, can we go back to the aqueduct and stop whoever's poisoning this water? See, this is this is why there's like that should have happened like a full episode ago, shouldn't it? I mean, that should have happened like a while ago. So it's like we're doing this. Okay, so and so gets here, and then they're like, "Hey, can I go back here?" Because I just remembered I have to do this. <laughs> it's just, you know, there's so much filler for no logical reason whatsoever. But they refuse. They refuse to take Susan with them to to uh, to the aqueduct. They're like, "Nope, nope, not gonna not gonna do it. Not gonna do it. Um, not gonna happen, Captain. Um, she's got to stay." And John wants to give up space travel and marry Carol. Like that's what, that's what his hope is now. You know, um, and then suddenly at the end of the episode, Carol is grabbed by this unseen party. Which, you know, gee, I wonder who that might have been. Um, we pretty much know from seeing the arm that it was a sensorite. So it's not like it's, uh, it's not like it's really difficult to figure out who who this was. <laughs> And then we get to episode six, A Desperate Venture. And uh, the administrator forces Carol to write this note to John, um, you know, saying where, you know, where, where she's going to be. 
and like oh and so like everybody sees right through that note barbara's back like the episode starts and suddenly barbara's just standing there she's like she's like uh i don't think that i think he he was or she was forced to write that note you know and they're like damn barbara i think you're right welcome back your dreams were your ticket out you know so the first elder is going to help the travelers um you know susan and barbara want to rescue the doctor and ian um there are these survivors from the ship that are in the aqueduct area and ian fights one of them off with like this rolled up what looks like a rolled up newspaper <laughs> it's like what the f- what what is going on here what what are you guys doing i don't get it you know um and then they do this thing where barbara's like like let me try to transmit my thoughts to you susan you know so that they can communicate you know over the distance and and like she manages to do so like it helps for her to actually say them out loud too but the thoughts go through to susan telepathically um and they talk about how the sensorites their their lives are based on trust which susan says that may become their downfall so that's like kind of like oh yeah yeah you, you're you may be right uh we may be crazy um yeah, the, the the we shouldn't always trust each other, I guess, because you know this sensorite might have uh, pretended to be a different sensorite for all we know. We can't tell just because we're telepathic, <laughs> you know. And uh, Susan talks about where she came from, and she talks, you know, she's saying Gallifrey, although we're still not calling it Gallifrey because that word won't exist for a few years. And she says the night sky is a burnt orange and the leaves are a, a bright silver, which is a very nice little poetic uh, image, you know. So there are, they find, Ian and the doctor find two survivors in the aqueduct and then they have, they, their commander soon joins them because, uh, you know, and, they, and um, you know, they're being all nice to the doctor and Ian and, um, you know, doctor's like, Hey, take me to your leader. And there's like, all right. So they go to the commander and you know, they don't seem to have individual names either. Like we don't, we don't find out it's just like number one, number two, you know? And, uh, you know, the, they're, they're some, they're, I guess, brainwashed into thinking that this, this war with the sensorites is going on. Um, you know, Ian and the doctor tell the commander that the, you know, the war is over. Um, to try to trick him, you know, and he talks about, oh, we're going to get some fucking molybdenum and we are going to be rich. Oh my God. We're going to be like Elon Musk in the 28th century risk, risk, rich, you know, um, but they end up tricking the commander and, um, you know, it comes out to where, uh, you know, that they, they find out that the sensorites are, um, on the, you know, the doctor's side and, the, um, you know, it becomes this whole thing. And, um, Barbara says the survivors were just insane. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word to use. Um, I mean, like I said, brainwashed, uh, you know, to where they, they believed that maybe they brainwashed themselves, but still, um, they believed that the, the, they were at war with the sensorites. And that that was that was what the whole thing was. But anyway, that that opens up a, a kind of a can of worms. I'm not sure if I want to go into right now. 
But uh, so the sensorites replaced the lock on the TARDIS door. They they uh, put it back where it's supposed to go, and they're like they fix it. And there's like, here you go. Thanks a lot. Sorry, you know we apologize for the inconvenience, and <laughs> you know. And Susan's been excited about this whole thought transference thing, and then she finds out that the only reason why it was, you know, why that ability was so was increased in her was because of her proximity to the Sunsphere planet. And that once they leave, she's not going to have that. But she has the potential. So the doctor's like, well, maybe we can work on that when we get back to our place. Like he doesn't mention, you know. I know they don't. They're not going to say Gallifrey, but he doesn't say like our planet. When we get back home, or like when we get back to our place, um, maybe maybe you can work on that whole telepathy thing. Uh, good luck. <laughs> you know, see if we can get your abilities going, and then so then the the TARDIS leaves, and we get the scene in the console room at the end where they're they're watching on the scanner. They're watching the uh, the 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 ship, you know, Maitland's ship leave, and Ian's like, well, at least they know where they're going. And the doctor just freaks his shit out. Like, he gets pissed off. Like, it seems to be an innocuous comment. Ian's like, I didn't mean anything, but but the doctor's like, you know, screw you. Um, wherever we land next, I'm throwing you off the ship. And at this point, like, it's, you know, it's like, boy, you cried wolf. Like, he said it so often, that even Susan's kind of just like, what the hell? Okay, whatever, you know? Like, she, even she doesn't scream. And uh, everybody's kind of rolling their eyes. But, like, it's basically just to put some some drama at the end, like a little cliffhanger. When you know that they're, he's not going to, at this point, he's not going to throw Ian off of the ship. Like, that's not that's not going to happen. But, well, you know, that's, that's what we're going with this, so... Just enough to give us a cliffhanger for the next story. <laughs> there's also... There's a big Finnish audio adventure that uh, takes place right after this. I think it's the Transit of Venus. But where it's the immediate aftermath of the Doctor making this threat. And they go through this whole adventure. And, uh, you know, where things are going alright. Everybody's getting along again. And then at the end... They they contrive this again where the doctor's pissed, <laughs> you know, just because you know the reign of terror, which is what they're slotting this in for, you know, this adventure into, you know, begins with the doctor being pissed. So, they, you know, they they contrive a separate reason <laughs> first, like, you know, sometimes like continuity and trying to, sometimes it's not worth slotting an extra adventure into a gap that doesn't need it. You know, they they should have just. There was a logical gap right after the Reign of Terror, like between seasons, if they wanted to say, oh, but then so-and-so happened and this happened, you know, whatever. But uh, big finish. I don't know. Big finish. So that that's all. Um, I made it through the Sensorites. Somehow I made it through. And... Uh, yeah, I can see where it's a it's kind of a marathon killer because it's like, come on. I mean, there are long sections with the sensorites that are just dull and make no sense, and I don't think we get a lot of a payoff, you know. So I'm giving the sensorites a five out of ten, which I know is still 
is average. I mean, I liked what they were, some of what they were trying to do. Some of the, they actually, there was some interesting world building there with, of, uh, the future and how, you know, how it's set up and stuff like that. But like, all in all, like in this, this whole, you know, the sensorites can't tell each other apart, even though they're telepathic, you know, like it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the, the writer's name was Peter G. Newman. And apparently, uh, um, he was, he's kind of a mystery, like a mysterious presence in the first season of Dr. Who, um, to where this guy, um, this fan of Dr. Who, Toby Haydock, um, who's also written, you know, written a lot of stuff and about the show and done podcasts and stuff like that. Like he did a, I guess he did a whole podcast where he tried to track him down and I haven't listened to that episode, so I don't know how that ended up, but you know, uh, it was this guy that just wrote one story and that was it. And he doesn't seem to have ever written anything else ever <laughs> for anything. So I don't know, but yeah, I got to give it a five out of 10. And actually on my current, uh, little chart, um, the sensorites is now at the bottom. Um, I even put the edge of destruction a little bit ahead of it because that story certainly has its problems too, but it's, it's second episode. It's second half basically. Cause it's only a two parter. Um, you know, does a lot of very interesting things with, with the characters. Um, you know, they, there's, there's character development and where this one does not really have that. Um, there's not much aside from like, Hey Susan, you're telepathic. Just kidding. No, you're not. Um, there's not a whole lot here. And, and like I said, they actually kind of regress at the end and the doctor like suddenly being pissed off for no reason and threatening to eject them from the ship. And so it's just, I don't know. I, I, you know, the sensorites is, I appreciate what they were trying to do, but I don't, I really don't think it works very well at all. It is a great example of naive science fiction. So anyway, Oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> My stomach growled. I need to get some foods. Um, next time we'll be talking about the reign of terror, which is a six parter that takes place during the French revolution. So where Susan was reading about the French revolution in the first, in the very first episode of Dr. Who, we're now going to see, um, up close and personal, so to speak, you know, what the French revolution was actually like, um, according to Dr. Who. So, um, like I said, it's a six parter. Um, two of its episodes are missing from the archives. I think episodes four and five, I have the DVD ready to go. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, give it a go very soon. Um, I think I might be able to get through this one and then, um, the next two stories during the month of September, like I was hoping, and then we'll get to Susan's departure at the end of Dalek invasion of earth and, uh, you know, maybe start on the next, start on the next, the next companion, um, in October. So we'll see how that goes. So anyway, um, show's over and, uh, it seems like these are getting longer. I think it's because I'm going on tangents more and, um, this kind of thing. So, but anyway, um, uh, thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Um, until next time, go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.